you guys. When I was growing up, uh, we would obviously I grew up in a church. We had the hymnals and stand and knew the order. Knew the everyone knew the order. It's the same order every Sunday, you know, kind of thing. And basically, we knew the hymns. But there there were particular hymns that I still enjoy, uh, mainly because of theological emphasis and love to sing. If you come to fellows at five, then generally we'll get out the hymnals and. Uh, We'll sing from them. And one of the songs, though, has a chorus that goes like this. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. All right, so four or five of us know that. All right. Let's do it one more time. All right. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. As I meditated this week uh, on that song and just the passage that we would encounter today, I found myself asking two questions. Are we truly willing to go wherever he leads? Are we truly willing to go where he leads or do we just sing stuff? There were a couple lines in the songs that we sang today that sometimes we just sing stuff. Are we really on our knees? Are we really yielding everything to him? Are we really willing that wherever he leads, I'll go? Because I know sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. The second question that I found myself asking this week was, why do we sometimes go where he doesn't lead? Why do we sometimes go where he doesn't lead? And I believe that uh, there are three reasons why that happens that we'll see in our text in Matthew 16 today. I think there are three reasons why we go where he doesn't lead. And the first one is we're not following him in those moments. We're following us. I think a second reason is we're not denying self. I think a third reason is we're not thinking on the things of God. All of these we'll see in our text in Matthew 16 today. But asking the question, you know, we'll sing and say, wherever you lead, I'll go. And yet sometimes I end up places he didn't lead me. And the only reasons I can point to is because he isn't leading. I'm leading me. Number two, I'm not denying self. And number three, I'm not thinking about the things of God. I'm thinking about things of man. I came to a conclusion then that I don't want to go anywhere he does not lead. And if that's going to be the case, then it means I have to come after Jesus. And if I'm going to come after Jesus, then I must deny self and take up my cross. This is what he said. So if I don't want to go anywhere he doesn't lead, then I have to come after him. He has to be the one in front. And if I'm going to come after him, then I have to deny self and take up my cross. That's what he's articulated. It also compelled me to say, I don't want cross point to go anywhere he doesn't lead. You know, part of the reason that we started this 40-day prayer emphasis was, as we entered 2011, Jesus, what do you want from your church this year? Jesus, how do you want to direct us? And if you're not participating in that 40-day prayer uh, time, I hope that you will pick up a guide today. It's online. You can go to our website. But this is us corporately begging and saying, Jesus, guide us. Jesus, lead us. We don't want to lead ourselves, do we? We know where that will cause us to end up. So we're going to be a church then that does not go where Jesus 
uh, doesn't lead, then we must come after Jesus corporately. And if we're to come after Jesus corporately, then we must deny self and take up our cross. So I found myself asking questions. Will we be a church that follows where he leads, or will we be a church that tries to lead Jesus? Will we be a church that surrendered our wills completely to him? The first verse of that chorus we just sang, wherever he leads, I'll go. The first verse says, take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. That's what the first verse says. And that's what our passage in Matthew 16 is about. Take up your cross and follow me. Surrender it all. So the question this morning is, friends, are we collectively and are we individually just saying to Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I want you to stand with me. We're going to begin reading in verse 21 in Matthew. And we'll read through verse 28, the end of the chapter. Beginning in verse 21, here's what Matthew records under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says this, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is come, going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Father, we're grateful for this text. We're grateful that you've preserved it, that we may encounter it today. God, we're grateful to have it in our language. As always, we're reminded that there are and countless languages that still lack scripture today. Father, would you uh, provide for them? Would you again call people out to study linguistics and to immerse with one of these people groups and to translate the scripture that they may hold it, that they may hear, that they may know? Father, would you help us not to be cold and callous towards what we hold in our hands? We have your word. We have what you're asking us to do. Now, as always, Father, this is not an academic exercise. We don't want to just get through this and understand it contextually and and see the little minutiae and it not affect us. Father, we want to live this passage. Would you help us to come after Jesus by denying ourselves, by taking up our cross, and by following him? Father, help us to live this. I pray for your spirit to give us eyes and ears. pray for your spirit to anoint the preaching of your word. Feed us, your people. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We have been in a series on holiness the first two Sundays and now the third Sunday as we opened the year. The elders had a burden together that we would emphasize holiness. And in February, we will hold a solemn assembly in which we just gather one Sunday morning and we, and we affirm together, Lord, we're yours. We're completely yours. And we want to turn from uh, all the things that aren't of you. Now, you do know there is a difference between regret and repentance there is a difference between remorse and repentance repentance is turning i'm turning away from these things and friends that's what we want to do we don't want to keep regretting regretting we want to repent from these things and turn 
and follow Christ. Well, we've been walking through holiness, and I've put a review there in your outline for you. Some of the things that we've seen so far. God is holy. God expects his children to be holy. God provides all we need for holiness in Christ Jesus. As we started the year in 1 Peter 1, and the reminder, God says, be holy as I am. This isn't my standard. This is his standard. And he expects us to be because we're his children. He's placed his spirit in us. The second reminder is we are only as holy congregationally as our least obedient member. We studied Achan last week and saw how Achan's disobedience affected his family and his nation. And friends, we are only as holy as our least obedient member. And of course, we had several people last week volunteer to say, that's me. That's me. Uh, we want to be growing in the things of Christ and in holiness. Every time we're tempted to sin, we should remind ourselves God hates what we're being tempted to do. So this afternoon when we go home and you're tempted and you're thinking, should I do this or should I not? Just beg the Lord to remind you he hates what you're being tempted to do. And then if you're okay with doing what God hates, well, then proceed, friend. Proceed. But if you, uh, didn't we just sing break my heart for what breaks yours? Didn't we just sing that? We don't want to just sing stuff, right? We want to live it. And so we want to hate what he hates, what we saw in Romans 12. Number four, every sin we choose can have consequences for our family and our congregation. So just remember, when you're tempted this afternoon, not only does God hate what you're doing, but it won't just affect you either. It will affect us. It will affect us. It always does. Sin is the epitome of selfishness. It's I'm choosing me over God, my family, and my church family. As I sought the Lord's wisdom for this week's sermon, I found myself realizing one of the greatest hindrances to our progress in sanctification is our lack of self-denial. One of the reasons we're not progressing in holiness is because we're not denying self, which obviously led me to this passage. Or to say it another way, the more we indulge self, the less we will progress in holiness. And can I pause right there and just ask a question? If we are not progressing in holiness, does it really matter what else we're progressing in? If, as a church, we are not progressing in holiness, does it matter that we're progressing in mission trips? If we're not progressing in holiness, does it matter that we're progressing in money? Does it matter that we're progressing in numbers? I would submit to you that none of these things matter if we're not an obedient church, growing in the very character of Christ Jesus. If we are not progressing in holiness, friends, it doesn't matter what else we're progressing in. And one of the greatest hindrances to us progressing in holiness is a lack of self-denial. We indulge the self, and you cannot indulge self and walk with Christ at the same time. So which way is it going to be? We have a passage here today, and Jesus says in verse 24, here in Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so for the next few moments, let's take this passage and see what the Lord would have to say to us how many of you have heard this passage before that's right i would submit to you in just a moment i'm going to show you the disciples had heard some of this before too how many of you know we learn best through repetition how many of you know it would be good for me if every day i reminded myself deny self take up cross follow jesus all right just making sure all right as we begin if we're to be a church that walks in holiness we must come after jesus Jesus tells his disciples here, if anyone would come after me. And the reason he's pointing that out is he's just told Peter, get behind me. Get back behind me, Peter. You've gotten out of order here. If any of you are going to come after me, here's how it's going to be. 
I want to answer a question here. Why would we want to come after Jesus? I think that's important. As your friends at school, teenagers, as you follow Jesus, they want to know why. Why are you following Jesus? The beauty of the context here in Matthew 16 gives us multiple reasons of why we would want to come after Jesus, why we would want to follow him. And we'll see this in just a moment. But number one is he's the Christ. Prior to this, in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Why would we want to follow after Jesus? Why would we want to come behind him? One, he's the Christ. The Greek word here is Christ. The Hebrew word is Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one that God promised to send. And we want to follow after him. He is the only Christ. There has never been another and there will never be. Though we have many folks in our world today who are still looking for the Messiah, the Messiah has come and he is Jesus. So we want to follow this Christ. A second reason we would want to come after Christ is he's our only sin bearer. Look in verses 21 through 23 that we read. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Friend, no one else has ever borne your sin for you, only Christ Jesus. No one else has ever absorbed the wrath of God for your most wretched acts, only Christ Jesus has. So why would we want to come after Jesus? Because he has been our substitute. He has died the death we should die. He has taken the penalty that we should have had, and he has given us his righteousness. No one else. No one else is the Christ. No one else is the sin bearer of the world. This is a good guy. How many of you say it's sounding already like a good guy to follow? Anyone? All right, good. Three of us. All right. Reason number three from this context. Why would we want to come after Jesus? Because coming after him is the only way to eternal life. Look in verses 25 and 26 of our passage. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? See, coming after Christ is the only way to eternal life. Everything else is total loss. What's everything else? If we would follow anything else, we accumulate everything else. It's all total loss for none of those bring eternal life. Christ Jesus alone brings eternal life. This sounds like a guy we might want to follow. Why would we want to come after him? He's the Christ. He's our only sin bearer. He's the only way to eternal life. In broader old scriptural context, one more reason that I would provide for you, why would we want to follow Jesus? He's the head of the church. In Ephesians 1, we're told that God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen a head go one way and a body another, but it seems it would be difficult to do what you need to do during that day. How many of you felt like sometimes you leave your head at home and go about your day? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes I think the people driving in front of me have done that as well. But uh, you would not be able to function, right? And so, friends, we as a church cannot function If we are not connected to the head, Christ is the head. Why would we want to follow him? He's the leader. He is the one in whom we receive all nourishment. He is the king of his church, as well as the universe. A second thing that I would add in that in the broader scriptural context is he has plans for us. We did not purchase the church with our blood, friends. He purchased it with his blood, and he has a plan. And so we want to follow that. We certainly want his plan and not our plan. Well, 
What does it mean to come after? I've given you some reasons here from the context of why we would come after, but what does it mean to come after? And let me give you some context. So Jesus walks them up to Caesarea Philippi, and that's an important location geographically because of some sacrifices that would go on. And and I remember Alan Jackson shared a sermon on it when I was in, in seminary, the guy who preceded me here as interim pastor. It's an important context. He then is beginning to say, look, I need to let you know some things. That's why in verse 21 it says, from that time, and Matthew is making a mark in his transition writing to say, Jesus is now not keeping secrets. Jesus is telling him, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to raise I'm going to be raised to life again. And he's filling them in on that. Well, Peter doesn't like Jesus' version of what it means to be Christ. Jesus doesn't, Peter doesn't like that because it doesn't fit his mold. They understood the Messiah was going to be this ruling king. The stuff about getting beaten and dying, it didn't fit into their plans, particularly if Peter had plans for Peter. So, but he pulls him to the side. It says in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. How many of you read that and you just laugh? How many of you could imagine taking Jesus to the side and say, now listen, you may not have thought this all the way through. Now listen, I've been walking behind you for a few years, and here's what I think. Now listen, I've seen you walk on water, but look, you're crazy. And it says here, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This is what Peter's doing. He's rebuking Jesus. How many of you know we don't want to rebuke Jesus? All right, just all right. So just making sure. So Peter's doing that. Well, here's what Jesus does in the process. He puts Peter back in his place. Literally, what would happen in these days is the leader or the rabbi would walk in front and the disciples would follow behind. That's just how it is. It was the process of respect. Even in their culture, if you taught the law in front of your rabbi, some felt that it merited death from God. There would be such a respect for their teacher. What we find in this instance is Peter has gotten out of place. Peter's now come alongside, and Jesus literally says to him, get behind me, and then he calls him Satan. And the reason that he does that is because Peter's plan and Satan's plan were the same. We want a Christ without the cross. And Jesus says, that's not the plan. He says, Peter, you know what your problem is? You're thinking like man, not like God. You have your mind set on the things of man, not the things of God. And so Peter puts, uh, Jesus puts Peter back in his place in order to say, I'm the one leading. Now, there's something we should see here that's, I think, very um, funny. It was Peter in the passage above who Jesus says, way to go, you got it right. In the very next passage, it's Peter who gets it wrong, right? One minute we speak for Jesus, one minute we speak for us. And the difference is what our mind is set on. If our mind is set on the things of God, we speak for God. If our mind is set on the things of man, we, we speak our own opinions and thoughts here. And it's interesting, too. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance. And where you see hindrance there in verse 23, it literally means stumbling block. And I think that it's interesting because prior to this, in that passage right above, Jesus says, you're Peter. You're the rock. And I'm upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. Now he says, you're a stumbling stone. You were the rock. I was going to build the church. Now you're a stumbling stone. And so he says, look, don't, don't think that you know the way, Peter. You need to get back into your place. You need to let me lead. To come after Jesus means then on your outline, I put there two very simple things. It means, first of all, Jesus leads, not us. Jesus leads. If disciples come after and imitate their teachers, Christians' lives are forfeit from the moment they begin following Christ. To come after Jesus, Peter himself had to return to walking behind him. Number two, it means my life is completely surrendered to him. Those who wish to follow Christ should understand from the start we're surrendering our lives to Christ. 
So when we sin, here's what's wrong. We are no longer coming after Jesus, but we are leading. And number two, our minds are set on the things of man and not of God. I don't know a single time that I've chosen sin that I was thinking about God. I don't know that I chose a single time that I've chosen sin, I was thinking about the plans of God. When you and I choose sin, we're no longer following Jesus. We're leading at this point, and our mind is set on the things of man, not God. Number two in our big passage, if we're going to be a church that comes after Jesus, we must deny self, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. So if we're going to progress in holiness, we've got to come after Jesus. If we're going to come after Jesus, then we have to deny self, take up cross, and follow Jesus. I want to point two things out to us as we start this. First of all, we come after Jesus on his terms, not ours. All right? We come after Jesus on his terms, not ours. Jesus is saying, if any of you are going to come after me, then this is how. Deny self, take up cross, follow me. If we create our own terms, then we also create our own Jesus, friends. If we create our own terms, we create our own Jesus. How many of you know a Jesus we create is not worth following? How many of you know a Jesus we create will save us from nothing? So we don't want to create Jesus our own Jesus, and we don't want to create our own terms. We don't have that liberty. We're not the king of the world. Jesus gives the terms in which we must follow, which is why it's interesting. I think in contemporary Christianity, I think there are a lot of folks who are following Jesus on their terms, which may ultimately be true that they're not really following Jesus. They're following a Jesus they have created. So if we're going to be a church that progresses in holiness, we've got to come after Jesus. And we come after Jesus, it's on his terms, and he says this, Deny self, take up cross, follow me. No other way, friends. He sets the terms. He sets the terms. Now, how many of you would say that denying self is the same message the world preaches to us? Anyone? No, you see these commercials, right? You should pamper yourself. You deserve it, right? These are the things the world teaches us. The message of the world, the message of Christ are not always the same. Why would we want to deny self? Because you can't save yourself friend that's reason number one you can't save yourself but what does it mean to deny self uh word studies of this means completely disown when we think about what does it mean to deny myself completely disown or to separate self from someone do you remember when jesus told peter you're going to deny me three times do you remember that and peter goes through it the same word is there so what peter does if i don't know him I don't know the man. And then he swears on the third time. I don't know him. It's this denial, denial, denial. This is the same word here. We're to do to ourselves what Peter was doing to Jesus. We deny self. We separate from. And by self, I don't mean just uh, we don't like, uh, I don't like our brown hair, brown eyes, this kind of thing. By self, what we mean is this. The natural, sinful, rebellious, unredeemed self that's at the center of every fallen person that can reclaim temporary control over us from time to time self-denial is not about self-abuse i'm not asking you to abuse yourself to fast for six weeks and and see how that turns out i'm not asking you to have low self-esteem i don't like myself that's not what this passage is talking about this passage is talking about denying self it means putting god in his kingdom first not you that's what it means the more we deny self the less we will sin the more we deny self, friends, the less we will sin. We may never become sinless. I don't believe we will until glorification. But we should sin less and less each year. Why? Because we're progressing in Christ. 
we're increasing in our denial of self and in our obedience to him, saying, lead on, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. How do I deny self? I've put some markers there for you. How do I do this? If this is what Jesus is saying to me, deny self, how do I do that? A couple things I've put in your uh, outline for you, and I'll just share the passages. You don't have to turn there. But the first one is renew your mind. Renew your mind. We have to change our thinking. As we said before, we have stinking thinking. But as we saw in Romans 12, that our mind has to be renewed. We have to think differently. And the only way to do that is in submission to the Lord's Spirit. Ephesians 4, and 23 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Friends, if you are not in God's word and his spirit is not teaching you, your mind is not going to be very renewed. You're going to be inclined to think more like the world, and if you think more like the world, you will be less inclined to deny self. But if we are going to think on the things of God, then we must know the Word of God, which means we must be in the Word of God. And look, we spent this past week studying Revelation 10. And my honest part is I talked to these teachers, Revelation 10 is a hard passage that you say, we've got a big old angel come down, he's got a scroll in his hand, John eats it, may that bless you. You know? That's a tough passage to say, what do we do with our people in this, with this passage? But you know what's what I love about Bible study? Because you know why? We know what's in Revelation 10 now. Because we're studying it. I don't know if we would have prior to this. And Bible study isn't always easy, friends, but it's always rewarding. And it is worth it. And the more we think about Revelation 10, the less I'm going to think about sin. So our mind has to be renewed. And the best way to do that, the Spirit uses His Word. Number two, kill sin. Or as John Owen says, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Kill sin. Colossians 3, 5, Paul writes, he says, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, put to death these things. That stuff that characterizes the old, you put that to death. How do we do that? Verse I say over and over and over and over, Romans eight thirteen. If, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Who knows the one weapon of the Spirit? It's the sword, right? What's the sword? The word. I'm a resounding gong this morning. The spirit and the word. The spirit and the word. If you want to deny self, let your mind be changed. How do we do that? The spirit uses his word. If you want to deny self, how do you do that? Kill sin. How do I kill sin? The spirit uses his word. How does that work out? Well, what happens is the next time you're tempted, the spirit brings up a scripture verse that causes you to be moved to obedience rather than disobedience. The Spirit brings up another verse, moves you, prompts you to obedience rather than disobedience. And the Spirit alone is the only one who can kill the root of sin in our hearts, changing us from the inside out, inside out, kill sin. Number three, make no provision for the flesh. I say this often. If you struggle with what you eat, which I don't, I'm the epitome of health, but others, if you struggle with eating snacks at night like Twinkies, then don't buy Twinkies and put them in your pantry, right? Because you're more inclined to eat Twinkies at night if they're in your pantry than if you actually have to get your car keys, drive all the way to Walmart, but not in Prairieville because it's not open 24 hours. I'm still not bitter about that. But (laughs) somewhere else it is open 24 hours and get your Twinkie. So the issue is, friends, a lot of the reasons, a lot of times the reason we sin is because we've aimed at it and we've made a provision for it rather than going away from it. Denying self is a lot more difficult if I've set the plate for sin. Make no provision for the flesh. Find out what it is that you keep struggling with and do whatever you can to head the other way. 
Do whatever you can to keep that from being part of your daily life. Here's the fourth one that I put there for you. Be accountable. Imagine if the church did this. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And in that passage, it's a passage that talks about the elders gathering and praying over the one that's sick. And the instructions there are confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Friends, you find a church that's doing that. You're going to find a church that's walking in holiness together, not individually. But we're shamed to do that. You know, I, I started the, the Band of Brothers the first Sunday of every month, the men gather. And part of the reason I did that is because we've got to pour into men. We've got to equip men to lead their homes and to lead well and to, to serve and love as Christ loved the church. And so early on, I started Band of Brothers with that desire to equip men, but also that we would be confessional and open with one another. And I found that men who only meet once a month and it's not the same group aren't very open to share uh, their most wretched things. And so transitioned, obviously, into our Fellows at Five group. And one of the things I love about our Fellows at Five group that meets every Tuesday is it is a place that we can be honest and real and ask and share and say, hey, Sometimes I lose patience with my children. Would you hold me accountable this week not to do that? Would you pray for me? And there's a confession of sin. Friends, what we keep in secret, we struggle with by ourselves. And we're the body of Christ. And we're not called to walk in secrecy. Let us be the body that carries burdens together. Confess sin. You know what? I have sin. And I know you do. Because I talk with some of you. So let's confess them together. And the more we confess and pray for one another, I believe the less inclined will be to sin on our own. Why? Because there's a brother praying for me. There's a sister praying for me. We're going to be open and honest, and we're going to leave, live Hebrews 10 that says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's what we want to be. If we don't want to be that, there's no need to meet together, right, on Sundays. Let me challenge us. Learn from examples. The Bible is replete with, with folks who uh, did not deny self and suffered for it. One of the ones that I thought of this morning was Samson. How many of you would say that Samson was pretty selfish? Samson was all kind of selfish, and his parents would try to guide him. He didn't care. He wanted these type of women. He wanted to do these kinds of things. And then he wanted Delilah, and, and of course Delilah was of another people, and, and Samson got the fruit of his decisions because he did not deny self. And he walked in his own pattern. I think it cost Samson much cost Samson much. Friends, we don't have to follow in Samson's footsteps to learn. Let us learn from him now. Let him be an example. I thought this morning of my friend Cecil Collins, who's still in prison. He played uh, football for LSU for just a few games. One of his uh, incredible games was against Mississippi State, and uh, he ran 60 yards with two guys on his back and one shoe. And uh, I played football with him growing up, obviously, in, in high school, and then he came to LSU. He broke his fibula against Vanderbilt, and he came back, and he had idle time, and he got in trouble with a girl at her apartment. He got booted out of LSU. He went to McNeese. He got in trouble with drugs. He got drafted, went to play for the Miami Dolphins, and was doing well. And then he broke something else. He ended up with idle time and got in trouble again with a woman. And now, by the time he gets out, he will have been in prison for 14 years. He will have never played again in the NFL, and his opportunity to do that is completely gone. Why? He did not deny self. Friends, let us learn from these without having to follow completely. If we don't deny self, we end up 
in a path that Christ doesn't want us to do because it's not best. Christ is leading us for our best if we would just trust him. So whatever it takes to deny self, we should do it. But I would say one more thing. Self-denial itself is not about saving work. We are not saved alone through self-denial. We are saved through Christ. And we deny self because we are saved, not to earn salvation. We are walking in Christ. We are denying self because of his work in us. All right, let me move quickly then. Come after Jesus, we must take up our cross. Uh, Very simply, if this had been there, uh, you should read the history of the Romans, probably in Jesus' lifetime, crucified about 35,000 people. How many of you know that would leave a mark if you saw that many people hanging? And you would be very familiar with what Jesus says. He says, if you want to come after me, deny self, take up the death beam and walk to your own death. Walk to your own death. This was a death march. They would carry their own beam. This isn't, uh, some people have distorted this passage. And this is my cross to bear. My wife spends a lot of money. It's just my cross to bear. My husband's never on time. It's my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus means. People have taken this and distorted that. When Jesus says, bear your cross, he means die. That's what he means. Die to self. And so we see that we should be willing to pay any price for Christ. One of our contemporary pastors has said, to come after Jesus for salvation is not to raise a hand or sign a card, although such things sometimes play a part. To come to Jesus Christ is to come to the end of self and sin and to become so desirous of Christ and his righteousness that one will make any sacrifice for him. This is what it means to come after him. We've come to the end of self. We've come to the end of sin. I want Jesus, and I want to follow after Jesus. Being dead to self. A couple passages I've put there for you. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See what has to happen. Why we have to have the renewed mind is so that every day we remember I'm dead to sin. I've been crucified with Christ. I am on the cross with Christ. I'm crucified to these things. I'm going to walk in obedience. Now, I know this is not new for many of us. We've heard this, and this is why I said about repetition. Because if you were to go back in Matthew 10, Jesus is saying these same things to his disciples. So if Jesus felt that his disciples needed to hear them more than once, certainly we do. And why I say that is because every day we need to remind ourselves of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Either you are dead to self or you are not, friends. And if you are not dead to self, you are not following Jesus. So whatever it takes for you to meditate on Galatians 2.20 and what that means for your life, do it. If it means you write it on a sticky and put it in your car, you put it on the light switch as you go out the door, whatever it takes, do that. When pastor says, Christ does not call disciples to himself to make their lives easy and prosperous, but to make them holy and productive. God didn't call us to himself to make us easy and prosperous. There's a what we call the prosperity gospel about health and wealth. You can't get there from this passage, friend. God did not call us to health and wealth. He called us to be holy and productive. If we're going to be holy and productive, we must deny self, take up our cross. We're dead to self. The third part is follow me. This is what he says in this text. Follow me. And I would submit to you, I want to challenge you in two ways of of the Jesus we follow. And I want to use these verses. 
In Matthew 26, verse 39, here's what it says. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus says, follow me. And there's lots of ways we could take that, but I want to take it just in in this direction this, this morning. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's the most intense night, I believe, of his earthly life. And he's come to the point where he is going to bear our sin. Jesus is not worried primarily about the physical part of the crucifixion. I think he's worried primarily about absorbing the wrath of God for our sin. And that cup in the Old Testament always had to do with the wrath of God being poured out. And Jesus just simply says, if that cup can pass, then let it. But not what I will, but you will. And I'm always challenged by that prayer of not what I will, but you will. You know, it's hard to sin if that's your prayer. It's hard to sin if every day you say, not what I want, but what you want today. Number two, Jesus says in John six thirty eight, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'd repeat what I said just a while ago. If this is your daily mindset, it's hard to sin. If you wake up and you say, my plan for today is to do God's will, not my own. It's going to be hard to sin. I say all that because this is the Jesus we follow. He says, follow me. And what he modeled for it is is not doing just what he wants, but what his father most desires. Jesus wants us to choose to follow him rather than to lead a life of sin and self-satisfaction. Jesus is asking for submission, not self-hatred. He asks us only to lose our self-centered determination to be in charge. That's what he's asking us to give up. Let me say one other thing then. If we never experience suffering for the sake of Christ, we may not be following Christ. (laughs) That's just another word. He says, follow me. If we never experience suffering for his sake, we may not be following him, friends. At least not enough that anyone can tell. So let me get to our final Roman numeral, number three. Being the church that walks in holiness by coming after Christ is eternally worth it. So Jesus tells his disciples, you want to come after me? Deny self, take up cross, follow me. Why would we do that? Because it's eternally worth it. Look at what verse 25 and 26 says. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give and return for his life? Why would I deny self? Here's why. If you get all that the self wants, you still lose. If you get all that the self wants, you still lose because none of that will give you eternal life. We've talked before last year about the rich young ruler who says he goes away in sadness because he had many possessions. And, of course, we know how many of those possessions does he have today? None of them. But he chose these possessions over Christ, so he did not have eternal life. And all that he had, none of it could give him eternal life. So if you get all that the self wants, you lose. Tara and I, uh, over Thanksgiving, we were, got to go to Memphis one night and, and visit our friend that has stage 4 cancer. But the next day we did something that neither of us had ever done. We went to Graceland. Anyone been to Graceland? Wow, it's the weirdest tomb I've ever been to, really. But uh, it was amazing. And it's also interesting, you know, you pull in and there's this heartbreak hotel and, and all these things. It's, you know, it's just a, it's amazing when you see all the things that they have there. You also get to put headsets on that someone previously just took off, and you get to put those back on and listen. And, and you get to tour the mansion, right? 
and you're not supposed to have flash photography. And, and my, my phone, I was actually taking a picture. We were downstairs, and my phone had flash, and I didn't mean for that. And, uh, but the, uh, a woman was standing next to me with her camera, and so the guy guiding the tour, when the flash went off, he yelled at her because he thought it was her flash. And I let him. So we went on. <laughs> Told you. Sometimes Jesus doesn't always lead, right? I was like, what would Jesus do? Just be silent. Be silent. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you go through this whole thing, and you see where Elvis and his mom and dad and, and uh, all these things are, are buried. But you go back across the street, and you get to see all of Elvis's cars. And you get to see Elvis's two planes. And, you know, one time he, he took uh, Lisa Marie. She'd never seen snow. So he just got on the plane, they flew to Colorado, let her play in the snow for a few moments, and then flew back to Tennessee. I can't imagine that, first of all. But to see what was going on in these planes and to see all these cars, and, uh, and I'm not saying I know where Elvis is. I do say that I know where all this stuff is. It's in Memphis. It's in Memphis, friends. So you can get all the self-wants, and you still lose. So let us learn from these examples. Why would I deny self and follow Christ? Because it's eternally worth it. And everything else is total loss. Here's a second reason. Kingdom rewards. Kingdom rewards. Look at what Jesus says. I think we meditate on this too little. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Outside or next to what he has done. You want to write just two words. His practice. That's what it means literally. Jesus is going to reward us based on our practice. We have not merited salvation, but once we've had salvation, there will be kingdom rewards. See, friends, we're not to be just hearers but doers. That's why the point is not to just get through this passage this morning. The point is that you and I live this passage. The question is going to be, did we commit ourselves to Jesus or did we serve only ourselves? I think we too often have our minds set on the things of man. It is okay to set our mind on kingdom rewards. He says when he comes back, he's going to repay each person. And if you actually journey through Matthew, Jesus talked about kingdom rewards a lot. He talked about them in 5.12. He says, great is your reward in heaven. In 6.4, he says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In 10.41, he says, anyone who receives a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. In 1929, he says, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Friends, I would propose to us that the more we think on Christ, his imminent return, and the fact that he will bring rewards, the less inclined we will be towards sin. C.S. Lewis says, we ponder the rewards of heaven way too little. I have a suspicion that some of us will make it into heaven but have little treasure stored. And it will be evident at that point which world dominated our thoughts and lives. I think it's going to be evident, friends, which world dominated us. If you think very little of Jesus and his kingdom rewards, you're going to live very little for Jesus on that day. He's coming back, and it is okay for this to be a motivation to live for his glory being the church that walks in holiness by coming after Christ is eternally worth it. Now let me close with one, one final story. Uh, I spent many summers at Glorietta. I've 
I've made many trips out to Glorietta, and I love Glorietta, and I hope that our youth will get a chance, because you should go to one of the Baptist Meccas at least once in your life, right? You should make a pilgrimage out there. Glorietta is north of Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I think about leadership as I think about this passage. I used to lead a group each week into Santa Fe, and we would go share the gospel in the square there. And my very first week, I was leading the bus, and we were uh, very, very late in doing so because I had no idea which way I was going. I thought about that this week as I thought about this passage because every time I get in front of Jesus, I really don't know where I'm going either. And where I end up is not best for me. But I was thinking about Glorietta because one night we had some campers who got lost. They decided to do their own backpacking trip. One of them's name was Jermaine, which is why none of my children are named Jermaine. Because if you spend multiple hours in the dark calling out names, you learn you will never name your children those names. And so they had not reported back, and uh, they decided that we should go look for these students. In order to call out the real boys, the search and rescue teams, the state troopers, the New Mexico state troopers have to do that. Well, the New Mexico state troopers didn't arrive out at Glorietta until 1 in the morning. And so then they called out the actual search and rescue folks who arrived at 2 in the morning. And it was really funny because there were several of us who said, we want to help these teams. And so we made our preparations. You know, we got our little backpacks and we had like wheat thins and a bottle of water, you know. And that was really about it. And then we had our... Uh, non-water repellent jeans and uh, and other things that were essential. And then these guys walk in, and they're the real deal. They've got suits on that are made to go in the mountain. They've got all the supplies. They've got GPS. They've got maps. They've got walkie-talkies. I was like, man, that's a good idea, you know. And and we go through this whole process. And, and I, I kept thinking about the, the track that my team was assigned was Baldy, and that's a five-mile hike up and a five-mile hike down. And lots of funny things about that trip one time we found ourselves but uh other things we we also found another search and rescue team we would blow a whistle and we'd stop and listen and and we would call out and we'd say Jermaine you know and then we heard Jermaine you know and so our our crew said wait shh, shh. and he's like Jermaine you know and he's calling out and he said you think that's them you think that's the kids and I was like I know that when I'm lost I don't walk around going Landon <laughs> Landon you know, my favorite story of that is my grandmother. One time she was separated from my aunt and my mother in a mall. And, and my, my uh, aunt comes back and says, where were you? You were lost. And my grandmother said, I knew where I was the whole time. <laughs> she wasn't lost. So we're, we're this crew, you know. And, and so we didn't find Jermaine at that point. We found another rescue team. But I just began to think, you know, what if when these search and rescue teams arrived, and I just walked up to them, and being from Louisiana, I have massive knowledge of the mountains in Santa Fe. What if I just walked up to them and said, I'm going to lead this trip. you got to just follow in behind me, and I'll, I'll roll this on, you know? How silly it would have been. And yet, as I've contemplated this passage all week, friends, how silly it is when we say to the expert trail guide, no, Jesus, let me take this part. No, Jesus, let me take today. Friends, either we're willing to go where he leads or we're not. And if we're not, we're wasting time. We're wasting time. The words to the hymn there, Stephanie's going to come, and we are going to have a chance to respond to this this morning, but I put them on your page. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. He drew me closer to his side. I sought his will to know. And in that will, I now abide. Wherever he leads, I'll go. 
And maybe through the shadows dim or o'er the stormy sea, I take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me. My heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me so. He is my master, Lord, and king. Wherever he leads, I'll go. So I just have really two simple application questions this morning. Is he leading or are we leading? Number two, are we denying self or indulging self? If we're going to be the people that progress in holiness, we're going to have to come after him. If we're coming after him, it's going to be because we're denying self, taking up cross, and following this Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you for a passage that we're very familiar with. God, I know that when we choose sin, it's because, like Peter, we have gotten out of place. We have come up, and we've got another way. We've got something we think that we should tell you. We've got a direction we think we should head, and all the accumulated years of our wisdom, when you were the ancient of days. Father, you have never slept one moment from the time that you said, let there be light. You don't grow weary. You don't faint. And you are the everlasting God that though we come and our lives are mist and vapors, you have a plan that you're working and you stay on the scene. Father, we don't want to be those who have our minds set on the things of man. We want to be those who our minds are captivated to Christ. Father, we want to be those who don't indulge self, but we deny self. You know my own battles. But this morning I come and I say to you, I want to surrender it all. I want you to lead, Jesus. I want to deny self. And I pray that that's the prayer of our church. As we move forward in 2011, we don't want to be a church that leads you. We need you to lead us. We don't want to be a church that progresses in other things, but not holiness. Above all, we want to progress in your character. So this is how we do it. Now help us to do it. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.